Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. I know. <clears throat> I know. The last time I judged a book by its cover and, 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 and did a book by its name and read a book by its name, I ended up with a book that had a black woman on the cover but was all about a white woman. Um, that was like four chapters long. I know, I know. And I, I, I swore then that I wasn't going to read a, or judge a book by its cover anymore. And I wasn't going to read a book just based on the title anymore because the last time I did that, I ended up reading a book by a white man who wanted to cash in on urban culture by doing a book called It's a Thought That Counts when it was really about two white women, uh, having a threesome with one of their husbands for Christmas. But, hear me out. Hear me out. It's October, right? And if I'm going to read a book, it's going to be a scary book, or at least something that should be a scary book. And when I'm looking for scary books, like, I have a few. I have a couple. Trust me. But as I was going through my... Uh, favorite library um my mom's or my mom's house because she has a ton of books that's where i learned to read at duh at my mom's house um i went on amazon and i was going through there and while i was there i saw a book that grasped me so firmly that i was like this is it this, this, that shit right here. This, this what we doing next. And I don't give a fuck. If it doesn't work out, I'm going to get my jokes off. But if it does work out, shit, I'm going down as a legend. So, we've all seen horror movies like Poltergeist and, 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 well, any horror movie where white people don't get the fuck out in time. And really, somebody explained it to me in a way that made sense to me, was that, the problem is that the white folks don't know they're in a horror movie. So while we're yelling at them to get the fuck out, they don't they don't know. But then I saw a black movie called Bones with Snoop Dogg. It's a whole thing where the black people were, were explaining away the shit and the fuckery that was happening in the house. And I was like, this is some bullshit because black folks, we don't stick around for nothing. We out like immediately. So with all that said, I would like to present a 
book for October, a horror book, if you will, with sensibility. I hope. Again, I'm just judging by the title. This might not even be scary at all, but by the cover and by the title, it looks like it should be scary and yet also have the sensibilities that I, as a black man, fucking deserve. So, with no further ado, I bring to you, man, fuck this house. By Brian Asman. I didn't say it was written by a black person. It probably isn't, but still, I am okay with that name and I am okay with the with, with the thought of this book, so we gonna do this. Man Fuck This House by Brian Asman. Before. Through the upstairs windows, the house watched and waited and despaired until every last glimmer of hope leached from its bones, the all-consuming emptiness of blight more entropic than any dry rot. Bowing its eaves, bending its beams, cracking its foundations, leaving it a cicada? Cicada? Cicada, right? It's cicada. Y'all motherfuckers on the East Coast know what I'm talking about. I ain't never seen one before. Leaving it a cicada skin. A vacant replica of the thing it once was, doomed to wither and flake and battered by the dumb vagaries of man and nature alike, eventually dissolve into the wind. And then, then, Sunday. Shortly after lunchtime, a beige Toyota Camry took a long loop. Oh, we gon' not, oh man, okay, okay, okay. So what we gonna do here is we're going to see how many big words you're gonna fit into this book. Because you already used vagaries, which was cool. And this word right here, lugubrious okay i'm right there with you but this what kind of book are we doing here let's find out shortly after lunchtime a beige toyota camry took a long lugubrious left in the james circle for what y'all for those y'all who don't fucking know lugubrious is defined as um looking or sounding sad or dismal which means the brakes are probably dead okay Okay, so shortly after lunchtime, a beige Toyota Camry took a long, lugubrious left on a James Circle, the back end sagging from the combined weight of the Haskins family and what worldly possessions weren't left for the movers. This is it, team, Hal Haskins said brightly. I'm just going to assume he's white because the writer is white and his name is fucking Hal. I don't know any black Hal's. It was a few days ago that I met my first white Jerome. Did you know Jerry Seinfeld's real name is Jerome? Yeah, I was fucking floored too. Anyway, Hal was a man whose personality favored his car's paint job, prone to dad jokes and bland observations. His hobbies included checkers, Roth IRAs, and assorted flavors of sports ball. His word. Even played a little sports ball too when his trick knee allowed it. Aren't you excited, kids? Sabrina Haskins asked, twisting around in her seat to regard her literal two and a half children. Ten-year-old Damien had eaten his own twin in the womb. What the fuck? Or absorbed him, as the OBGYN corrected. But she couldn't quite part with the notion she had given birth to a cannibal. <laughs> For years, she woke up in the middle of the night, soaked in sweat, Terrified, she was pregnant all over again, her son digging his way out of her uterus with a pickaxe, jury-rigged from his dead brother's bones, gasping for breath as her own blood rushing from her wounds, threatening to drown him. His older sister, Michaela, barely looked up from her phone long enough to roll her eyes. Whatever. Hmm. Sabrina was excited, even if the kids couldn't be bothered. 
She always thought of Columbus as a stop on the way to bigger and better things, but after dropping out of Ohio State mid-sophomore year to pursue her real passion, getting groped by hot sauce finger rednecks at Hooters, she had gotten stuck there. That is the most Ohio sentence I have ever heard in my entire life. And I just have to warn you right now. If you are not down with me making fun of the state of Ohio as a goddamn whole, get the fuck out. Because it's about to go down. Oh my God, Ohio. I can't fucking wait. Then she met Hal, who came in one night with his co-workers for a plate of mild wings and exactly two beers. That's the whitest shit I've ever heard. Maybe they hadn't fallen in love per se, but he was a good guy with a steady job selling reverse mortgages to widows. Part of her always figured something would change. What specifically she couldn't say, and then life would be somehow different, more exciting, more interesting. But it hadn't. Four years in Columbus turned into 14. I'm so sorry. Two kids, stretch marks, a series of part-time jobs, and a board stint community college. Sabrina literally tried to get into basket weaving. Basket weaving. Her rather recurring nightmare revolved becoming the world's foremost weaver of baskets, basically the Martha Stewart of basketry. Flying off to Paris or Dubai at a moment's notice to weave a basket for some foreign dignitary or oil sheik. Becoming famous was one thing, but becoming famous for something so gosh darn boring seemed like its own special type of H-E double hockey sticks. Whoo-hoo. So when Hal came home from work one day and told her that he had been offered a big promotion, but they'd have to move, she didn't even ask where. Columbus was a fine town. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. Columbus is like... Okay, so there's like two and a half cities in Ohio that are okay. One is definitely Columbus. Columbus stays cracking. The other one is Cleveland. Yeah. Okay. I'll say Cleveland. Sure, why not? Mostly because of Bone Thugs and Harmony and the Drew Carey intro to his show, The Drew Carey Show. Past that, and then there's Cincinnati, which, I mean, they, they put fucking chili on top of spaghetti. I'm, I mean, and then there's other places in Ohio where the further you get from Columbus, the wider it gets until you're like on the border of Ohio and West Virginia and you're looking back and forth and you can't tell them apart. Mm hmm. Yeah. She had never heard of Jackson Hill, but it apparently was one of America's most desirable small cities. Whataburger had even opened a franchise there the year before. Maybe it wasn't San Fran or Seattle or even the less murdery parts of St. Louis, but she kind of liked that. The whole city seemed like a blank envelope. Anything could be inside. She could reinvent herself, become whatever she wanted. If only she could figure out what that was. The Camry came to a halt outside a two-story craftsman with a brand new siding and a slightly overgrown yard. Across the street, in front of a house painted in a very off-putting mustard yellow, a gray-braided lady glanced up from her flower beds long enough to wave at the Haskins family with a pair of shears. Sabrina tried to wave back, but the lady had already looked away. One, two, three, break, Hal said, shutting off the car. Sabrina grabbed her purse off the floor and got out, legs stiff from spending the last six hours in the car, and another twelve the day before that. 
the trip only broken up by brief stops at gas stations and a night at Motel 3. Half the price, twice the fun, where she had had to leave the Gideon Bible with the confused front desk nurse because Damien wouldn't stop ripping out the pages. Wow, he really is a fucking demon child. I mean, plus, I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I'm not going to make fun of white people yet. It's going to get there. This guy already know he's going to write it. So then it's just like a lob over the plate. But right now I'm going to leave y'all motherfuckers alone. But his name is Damien and he ate his twin in the womb. So he's going to shoot up a school eventually. The fall breeze ruffled her hair pleasantly. Just got a text, Hal said, coming around the car. The movers are late. Go figure, right? Sabrina looked at her husband and winced. Powdered donut from their gas station donut breakfast dappled his face. She slipped a crumpled napkin from her purse and dabbed his left cheek. I'm fine, I'm fine. Hal craned his neck away. Jeez. Just trying to help. Sabrina rapped on the car window. Kids? Michaela reached for the handle, frowned, slapped the window. Sorry, Hal said, leaning back in the driver's side. Forgot the child locks. Ever since Damien tried to bail out on the freeway, both Haskins children had had to suffer the indignity of child locks. Now freed, both took their sweet time getting out of the car. Michaela, to her credit, slipped her phone into her jeans and acted like she was part of the moment. Damien, however, stood sullenly in the driveway, staring down at his feet. Hal dropped into a crouch next to his son. What's wrong, champ? I don't like it. The words came out cold, monotone, like most everything Damien said. What's not the light, buddy? Damien shook his head and said no more. Such a freak, Michaela muttered. I heard that, young lady, Sabrina said, then cringed because she sounded like her mother, a severe and uncompromising woman who choked to death on a California roll when Sabrina was in high school. Whenever Sabrina said anything too overtly motherly, she imagined her throat closing up, her skin turning blue, and her two children laughing their butts off while she clawed impotently at the air. Hal hefted Damien up on his shoulders. Come on, let's check out our new digs. I think you'll really like it once you get your bearings. Stooped under the weight of his son, Hal staggered out the flagstones to the front door, Michaela trailing behind. Sabrina watched her family for a moment, heart swelling. They weren't perfect, but they were hers. Then hurried to join them. The house was unbelievable. They, with the exception of Michaela, who rushed upstairs to inspect her unfurnished new room, and Damien, there in body but not in spirit, started with a tour of the house. The front door led to a foyer, a stairwell heading straight up to the second story. To their left was a living room, a roomy space with hardwood floors. They poked their heads in, noting the curving archway, then headed towards the kitchen, recently updated with granite countertops, a fetching gray-black backsplash, and shiny steel appliances. Even better, the counter seemed to go on for days. Another door led to the empty dining room, which connected through to the living room. Sabrina couldn't wait to cook a meal without banging a shin or elbow or something. The porch! Hal declared, stepping through a door at the rear of the house. Thanks to the school schedule and the speed of the move, he was the only one who had seen the new house so far. Sabrina followed him to a screened-in porch looking out on the backyard, enclosed by a wood fence, nothing but trees beyond. Other side of State Park, Hal said, setting Damien down the back steps. The boy wandered into the yard and sat in the grass, cross-legged. 
He commenced massacring dandelions, blowing fluff away with the soft poof of his lips. Sabrina didn't want to think about whatever the boy might be wishing for. I like this book. The yard wasn't huge, but that would make it easier to maintain. Damien could probably mow the lawn in a few passes, one of the few household chores he'd do, heavily supervised by Hal. And they had a shiny metal shed, one of those prefab jobs. Maybe she could take up gardening, get their new neighbor, the old lady with the shears, to give her some pointers, finally turn that black thumb green. Can we see the upstairs? Sabrina asked. Hal nodded. Wait till you see the master bedroom. He cupped a hand to the side of his mouth. Let's go, buddy. Damien didn't even look up. He's fine, Sabrina said, grabbing Hal by the arm. Together they went back in through the kitchen. Passing the stairs, Sabrina noted a door she hadn't seen on the way in. Where's that go? Basement? Hal said, but it sounded more like a question than a statement. Sabrina shrugged it off. She wanted to get a look at the bedrooms first, especially hers. If they'd redone the master bath like the kitchen... Hal stomped up the stairs. They sure don't make them like this anymore. Solid, solid construction. This thing will still be standing when we're long gone, I'll tell you that. Sabrina froze in her tracks, goose flesh standing up on her arms. The idea of the house outlasting not only her and Hal, but her children too seemed perverse. But that wasn't all. Long gone was totally relative. The house need not survive into some far-flung future when polar bears were extinct and the eastern seaboard lay completely underwater, fish swimming in and out of the broken windows of submerged Ikeas. If the Haskins family dropped off the face of the earth that very day, the house would only have to stand a few years longer to make Hal's Confoxian wisdom come true. What's long gone anyway? Brina, Hal called from the top of the stairs. What the hell had gotten into her? She hadn't had thoughts like these in a long time, not since the months directly after Damien's birth. Coming, she replied, taking the stairs two at a time. He was waiting at the landing. A door to the right leaned open, revealing the children's bathroom. She poked her head in and cringed. The tub, sink, and tile all looked older. Maybe not original, but definitely not updated like the kitchen. Plus, the old owners had left them a shower curtain. A clear plastic duck-emblazoned affair Michaela was sure to love. Maybe she wouldn't be using this bathroom, but she couldn't help but feel disappointed. It certainly wasn't as lovely as the rest of the house. Hal pushed open the next door. I was thinking this could be Damien's room. Sure. She found she really didn't care to see the rest of the house. Too worried the master bath would be a late 80s travesty like the kids' bathroom. The door across from Damien's was wide open. A slightly bigger facsimile with purple curtains hanging over the windows. This was supposed to be Michaela's. Hal mumbled, his head slowly swiveling to the door at the end of the hall. The closed door at the end of the hall. Don't get too comfortable in there, Sabrina called, although her daughter probably had her AirPods shoved firmly in either ear. She advanced quickly down the hall and flung the door open. The room was empty, the only movement from the lazily circling ceiling fan. Sabrina crossed the room, poked her head into the master bath. She barely had time to feel relief the glossy teal tile, the whirlpool tub, the separate shower stall. Feature she had covered it for years, because Michaela wasn't there either. That's your dream bathroom or what, hun? Hal said. Imagine soaking in that tub. Some candles. Red wine. Me. Sabrina turned. Where's Michaela? Hal shrugged. Around? Michaela? Sabrina called, her voice echoing off the walls. 
Down the hallway, a toilet flushed. A beat later, a door creaked open. Mom, Michaela yelled. There's no soap. Give me the hand sanitizer. Sabrina frowned, digging in her purse until she found a small plastic bottle of Germex and headed back down the hall. Michaela stuck both hands out in a gesture that seemed plaintive, despite her demanding tone. Give me the hand sanitizer, please, Sabrina said, pushing the bottle into her daughter's hands. Whatever. Michaela squirted gel into one palm and handed the bottle back, then walked down the hall rubbing her hands together. Which one's mine? Right here, monkey, Hal said. Ugh, don't call me that. Michaela's door slammed. Sabrina turned to Hal. That was weird. Yeah, I don't like calling our kids being called monkey either. Whether they're white or black, doesn't matter. Don't like the word. It's probably just something that's inside of me. The reason, I'll come up with it in a moment. I don't know. Just something deep inside of my black heart doesn't like when people get called monkeys. Par for the course. She's practically a teenager. No, that's not what I mean. Sabrina cocked her chin at the master bedroom. I thought she was in our room. Why would she be in our room? I, I don't know. Something about the last few minutes didn't track. Maybe Michaela had come downstairs while they had been in the backyard, gone out to the car or something. Must have, Sabrina thought. She stepped into the kids' bathroom, thinking she'd leave her sanitizer on the sink until they unpacked and found the hand soap. A little surprised Michaela didn't have a cutting remark ready about the childish, duck-covered shower curtain. The second Sabrina stepped into the bathroom, it all made sense. And didn't. A plain white shower curtain hung where the ducks had been. The second Damien was absolutely sure nobody was watching, he stopped picking stupid dandelions and slipped behind the shed, pulling his phone from his pants pocket. Fortnite time! Damien lived for these moments when no one was watching. He never felt particularly comfortable in his own skin until he was six and heard a lady on TV talking about something called an old soul. That fit him to a T. He wasn't completely uninterested in childish things. He lived for a silly multiplayer shooting filled with goofy fish people and exploding llamas, but he had always been wiser, smarter, and more mature than his years. A committed rationalist, he didn't believe in past lives per se, but he often got flashes of fabricated memories that led him to believe he played a role in a renaissance. Not Leonardo or Michelangelo or anyone famous enough to become a Ninja Turtle five centuries later, but some tangential bit player who maybe painted a fresco on a shed on the Vatican grounds or something. Because he was so perceptive, from a young age he picked up on how Sabrina looked at him, like a freak. He'd overheard her and his father arguing once, and while he didn't understand everything they were talking about, he looked up Parasitic Twin online and was taken aback. Somehow, Sabrina thought that it was his fault, that he bore responsibility for the viability of the other fetus with whom he had briefly shared a womb. As if a naturally occurring phenomena was somehow strange or evil or just plain intentional. His own brain had barely formed at the time. Reabsorption simply happened. And yet, she called him a cannibal. Never mind that he hadn't actually eaten the other twin. One would think that a half-college educated woman might have some inkling of what went on inside her own body, but no... Damien wasn't a particularly fearful child, but one thing that scared the absolute bejesus out of him was the ignorance of adults. Preach, brother! 
Forget Santa Claus, that plump and preposterous pseudo-deity he had never even for a second believed in. Okay, one time, but he was three, and he really, really wanted that big hug Elmo. For science. Totally for science. The biggest lie he believed as a child was that adults knew what they were doing, and they absolutely did not. In Damien's eyes, the dividing line between adult and child was simply how self-serious one was. Children thought the moon was made of cheese. Adults believed in more complex but equally silly things like the government. Everything was one big joke. So Damien decided to play the biggest one he could think of. Convincing Sabrina he was a precocious but decidedly non-evil child was a waste of time. I mean, she had named him after the hell spawn and the omen after all. No, he leaned into it. Act strange, aloof, creepy even. You know, Damien, you're absolutely right. I apologize for thinking you were going to shoot up a school. You're probably just going to kill your mama. But that's a ways off. His own private joke on the world and the fools who brought him into it. They had no idea he liked Fortnite, peanut butter and banana sandwiches, and the flipping wiggles of all things. A musical group he appreciated ironically, of course. Only his sister Michaela, his sole confidant, knew the real Damien. Hence his behavior on the front lawn. He'd hoped to unsettle his parents with a single unexplained comment. I don't like it. And he had easily succeeded. After, Sabrina seemed distracted, fearful. Time to celebrate. He tried to open the Fortnite app, but only had one bar. A quick search of the neighbor's Wi-Fi networks yielded nothing, unsecured or otherwise. The Haskins family network wouldn't be set up until at least midweek, if not later. He was about to wander inside to lick the baseboards or stand silently in the corner of the living room when his phone beeped. He figured it was a friend from back home, Marshall or Farouk, both two grades above him and bright for their age, about as mature friends as a 10-year-old could hope to make. But he didn't recognize the number, and the area code was local to Jackson Hill. Odd. Damien opened the message. It simply said, Sup? He wondered if a neighboring kid had somehow gotten his number, Maybe from his parents, most likely his idiot father, because Sabrina at least had the good sense not to inflict her demonic child upon others. Hal was always trying to make friends for him, sometimes with hilarious results, like the time he had bought a bunch of ice cream from Baskin Robbins and tried to toss some kids at the playground to come to Damien's seventh birthday party. Damien, for his part, had blown out the candles on his cake, never knowing one of his greatest wishes to come true. At that moment, his father was sitting broken nose and black eyed in a jail cell, charged with attempted kidnapping, while the parents who beat the living snot out of him got off scot-free. Damien considered the single word message for a long moment, then decided anyone who would text a new acquaintance something as banal and flat out lazy as sup, then met a response. He slipped out from behind the shed, straightening his posture into the rigid, straight leg robotic walk he used whenever Sabrina might be watching. His phone buzzed again. I asked you a question, little man. Straight up rude. Damien had quite a few opinions on that. Rude, in his book, was texting a stranger out of the blue and acting as if one was entitled to his time, but decided not to enlighten the mysterious texture on the finer points of etiquette a la Hoskins. Once again, a text popped up. I can see you ignoring me. Damien's heart thumped. Clutching his phone tightly to his chest, he turned around in a slow circle, expecting some teenage goofus to be hanging over the fence. But he didn't see anyone, and he didn't think anyone at the windows of the neighboring houses could see directly into the backyard where he stood. 
For once, the unsettling boy was himself unsettled, and Damien didn't care for that one bit. Who is this? What do you want? A set of ellipses popped up, indicating his... Stalker seemed hysterical, but discomfortingly accurate. Mysterious texture was writing what looked like a long response. Damien stood there in the middle of the yard, waiting for the response to come through. But it didn't. He shot a nervous glance up at the house, hoping Sabrina wouldn't see him doing something so quote titty and as having a text message conversation. Yeah, you gonna use big words this whole time. I'm okay with it. Luckily, the rest of the family seemed preoccupied. He turned his attention back to the phone, those cursed ellipses, threatening another strange and overly familiar message. After five minutes, he headed inside. As he grabbed the screen door, his phone pinged once again. The message was short, but easily the most unnerving yet. You'll see. The movers arrived eventually, just as the sun dipped down behind the mustard yellow house across the street, lugging the Haskins' possessions into the house with a supreme disregard for the brand new paint job, scraping incoherent graffiti into the walls with bed frames and wardrobes. Sabrina tried to redirect the men, but they paid little attention, and she quickly resigned herself to stopping by Home Depot with a few paint chips to try and match the house's hues. Despite the collateral damage, the movers were efficient, unloading their stuff in an hour. How dithered over tipping the men or simply offering them a beard, but they waved them off, leaving the Haskins family alone. Sabrina tried not to feel too overwhelmed by the massive amount of things they needed to do. She decided to get the kitchen situated first, ripping open the heavy cardboard boxes and finding homes for forks, pans, and spatula, marveling at kitchen gadgets she couldn't remember packing and hadn't used in years. A loud bang echoed through the open window, followed by a yelp and some very inventive cursing. Sabrina looked out into the backyard, her husband pogoed around on one leg, clutching his shin, the shed doors open, and the family mower waiting patiently just below the raised six-inch lip. Hal hopped around the circle, then rubbed his shin, face red. Then, gingerly, limping, Hal grabbed the mower's handle, pushed down so the wheels cleared that little step up into the shed, and muscled the mower into his new home. Sabrina smiled, shaking her head. Hal could be a real goof sometimes, but he was her goof. The rest of the day passed in a flurry of activity. It's Nadir, the moment Hal presented her with another box marked kitchen stuff, requiring a near total reconfiguration of the work she had already done. And by nightfall, even though they still had a lot to do, the house felt at least a little bit like home. Sabrina took Hal's car to the store, bought groceries, and cooked their first meal. A pretty okay pot roast with baked potatoes and veggies. After dinner, Sabrina even coached the kids, plus her husband, who had found a local AM sports station that had become otherwise useless, into playing a family game of Monopoly. Even Damien, who usually shunned family time but could be talked into it if there was money involved. Fake or otherwise. Even when Sabrina landed her thimble on Park Place, dotted with Damien's hotels, and had to pay him an exorbitant fee to kick free, she didn't mind. For once, the whole family sat together, talking and laughing and pretending they liked each other. This, Sabrina thought to herself, this is what real families are like. Later... Falling asleep, she wondered if maybe, just maybe, a change was all they needed. And from now on, in this strange new town called Jackson Hill, everything will be fine. Right before everything went black, she could have sworn she heard a voice whisper, No.
The Hassan family slept. The house did not. Monday, 30 minutes before noon, it finally occurred to Sabrina that she could actually sit down. The morning passed by in a whirlwind. Up by six, packing lunches and making sure every member of the family had what they needed to get to where they were going and dodging all the box possessions they had yet to put away. Effectively fighting both her children, a two-fronted verbal fencing match where both Michaela and an oddly verbose Damien trotted out a laundry list of reasons why they shouldn't have to start school yet, not in their third day at Jackson Hill. Inhumane, according to the younger Haskins. Prisoners of war could expect better treatment. Meanwhile, Hal couldn't find a shaving kit, and then his pants. Finally, he walked downstairs wearing a shirt-sports-coat combo that made Sabrina cringe, but she gave him a peck on the cheek and sent him on his way. A brown bag lunch tucked in the briefcase he only carried because the elderly clients expected it from him. Getting the kids on their way was a much more difficult proposition, and Sabrina briefly considered handcuffing them together so neither would get lost. But given they were headed to separate schools, that would have presented all manners of difficulties. Finally, she got them out the door, reminding them that she could easily see the bus stop from the living room window. Fine, just don't come out there, Michaela said, rolling her eyes. She grabbed her little brother's hand and dragged him out the door. Good as her word, Sabrina peeled back the drapes and watched them amble to the bus stop at the end of the street. No other children waited next to the stop sign. Sabrina wondered if the other neighbors even had kids. Somebody must, in a cul-de-sac with four houses, and if the other parents drove their kids to school. That got her wondering if there was some sort of carpool she could join. Her own Sienna hadn't arrived yet, shipped cross-country separately since Life Crate didn't handle automobiles. Granted, she had enough to do around the house and no urgent errands to run, but the delayed delivery of her car stretched out the move when she only wanted to get settled into their new life. The elementary bus pulled up. Damien managed to borrow without biting anyone. Knowing what I know now, it's just like, seriously. Michaela sat with her back against the stop sign and played with her phone until the next bus came. After spying on her kids, Sabrina made more coffee and set about organizing a never-ending box of Haskins stuff. Much of the morning was spent organizing her own closet, the walk-in she'd always wanted, and transferring Hal's old sporting equipment to new boxes bound for Goodwill. What did a right-handed man need three left-handed gloves for? She did the same with some old toys the kids insisted on saving. They wouldn't notice. Kind of irritated her. Couldn't they have gotten rid of half this junk back in Columbus? But she had learned to pick her battles over the years. Since her Sienna hadn't arrived, Sabrina had to hide the giveaway box somewhere they wouldn't be discovered. The basement, which she hadn't even taken a look at yet, seemed perfect. Sweating profusely, she carried one of the heavier junk boxes into the hallway and set it down. She opened the basement door, a gaping black void in front of her. She groped for the light, reaching into the darkness. Apropos of nothing, a vision of the dead mouse in the cabinet popped into her head. What dead mouse? I, okay, side conversation, I guess. She didn't, we didn't, we weren't there for that. A chill ran down her spine, and she imagined brushing up against something big and furry and rotting. Her hand found a drawstring. A single bulb illuminated the stairwell, a cramped space with rickety stairs and rusting nails stuck in the walls. Sabrina put a foot down and tested the stairs, sturdier than they looked, and figured she'd go down into the basement first, confirmed there was somewhere to put. Sabrina jumped at the knocks. She turned off the light and shut the basement door. Who could be knocking? 
Other than the gardening lady on Saturday, she hadn't seen any of the neighbors, and no welcome wagon had stopped by the previous evening. But maybe the other folks who lived on James Circle were overly respectful rather than weird or reclusive. Of course a family wouldn't want company on their first full day in a new house. Sabrina put her eye to the peephole. Couldn't see anything but a vague smear of shadow. Hello? She called. It's your neighbor, a friendly yet strong female voice replied. Sabrina opened the door to find the older gardener standing on the stoop with a cellophane wrapped plate of sandwiches. In Finland, they call these Porolanian. My own recipe with kale, satan, onion, and cucumber with avocado yogurt. Zefa Rubens, by the way, she said, offering a heavily bejeweled hand. Sabrina gave it a quick shake, apprising her new neighbor. The woman had icy blue eyes and looked like she had been reverse mugged by the QVC network. Topaz dangled from her ears. Six or seven equally bejeweled necklaces hung around her leathery neck. Bangles bangled at her wrists. Sabrina couldn't see the woman's feet beneath her flowy, multicolored skirt, but she probably sported as many toe rings as toes on which to put them. Sabrina, Sabrina said. Haskins, nice to meet you, um, Zephyr. That's an interesting name. David Crosby gave it to me in 1972. Before then, oh, but here I am telling you my life story and on the front porch. May I come in? Zephyr wiggled the tray of poor Elanian. Sabrina blushed. What was I thinking? Of course you can. She stepped aside, motioning her neighbor into the living room. Zephyr took a single step and then paused, tore over the threshold, a stricken look gripping her face. I. She stepped back, holding out her sandwich tray. Terribly sorry. I just remembered a previous engagement. We'll have to catch up another time. My place, maybe? I make the most delicious kava tea. You must try it. Okay. Sabrina took the plate and stood there awkwardly. Maybe I'll come by tomorrow. Zephyr nodded quickly. Do that. Bye now. She turned and hurried down off the front steps, taking them two at a time. Sabrina watched her cross the cul-de-sac, never once looking back. What an odd duck. But at least she brought sandwiches. The porcelain, whatever they were called, was terrible. Sabrina could barely stomach the one, and only finished it because her upbringing disallowed her from wasting even a morsel of perfectly good food. The kale and Satan, or whatever it was called, tasted like dirt. Actual dirt. And she found herself hovering over the kitchen trash, ready to toss it in after one bite. Ultimately, she choked the rest of the sandwich down, then performed some serious surgery on his fellows, picking off the kale, frying up real bacon, smashing the bread together, and turning them into BLTs, more or less. She felt terrible, doing all that to such a thoughtful gift, but at the same time, no one else would be eating them if she didn't do something. Was everyone in Jackson Hill like Zephyr? Aging hippies who ate awful food and talked about their auras? What could she possibly have in common with them? What do you have in common with anyone, said the sneaky little voice in the back of her head. Sabrina stretched the cellophane back over her improvised BLTs and put them in the fridge, along with the post-it that said, Eat Me, next to a tiny drawing of a dinosaur. A T-Rex, just an outline but still recognizable, jaws yawning open. She always liked doodling as long as she could remember. That's how she met Hal, in fact. That first night at Hooters, when she had been an orange-shorted waitress and he a young reverse mortgage salesman in Morgan. She caricatured the man seated next to him, a smallish, thin man with a sort of hooked nose that screamed for cartoonification. Hal's boss, as it turned out. 
On some strange impulse she still couldn't understand herself, she must have surely been fired if humorless Mr. Teague had seen the drawing and complained to her manager. She slipped her sketch to Hal. Later, with his crew of office drones dispersing, he cornered her near the wait station, and the rest was history. Haskins' family history. Sabrina sometimes wondered what life would be like if she hadn't drawn that picture, if she had drawn other, better pictures. Followed her true passion of taking over the Peanuts comic strip from Charles Schultz. A silly dream, maybe, but now, with the internet, who knows what might have happened. Nothing, the voice said. She slammed the refrigerator shut and turned to her interrupted task, the basement. Unfinished, utilitarian, cement floors and exposed wiring, maybe half the size of the first floor. The washer-dryer sat at the bottom of the steps, the furnace opposite. A dark alcove, probably a crawl space, lay beyond. Faint light shone through the two windows, dust motes dancing in the weak rays. Mildew hung in the air. No family in waiting this, but the box of excess Haskin stuff could be easily stowed, and once her car arrived, she could get rid of it all. Really Mary Canto it, like that guru her old friends were so enamored of. Sabrina turned for the stairs and froze. A man was coming down the steps. A big man, well over six feet, with equally broad shoulders and a bulging belly hanging out over his ratty sweatpants. His cheeks flushed red, and he had the kind of doughy, simple face incapable of expressing guile or malice. Part of her wanted to scream, but he looked kind and carried the box of Hal's old sports junk. Where do you want this? Lips moving soundlessly, Sabrina simply pointed to the wall where the other boxes were stacked. The man nodded, carried the box over and sat it down in the indicated spot. He grunted, straightening himself, then ran a hand over one of the older boxes, staring placidly up at the window. Then he walked, trudged really, over to the furnace and hefted his big body up and over the cement wall into the crawl space. Sabrina gaped. Nothing about what happened made sense. If he were a mover, maybe one of the life crate men returned out of a sense of altruism to help the Haskins family get settled, why would he enter without knocking, and even more importantly, why in the world did he crawl into the crawl space? She ran across the basement, house slippers slapping on the concrete and peered into the crawl space. Small, dank, lousy with torn up insulation. Hardly big enough for her. Let alone the man who was no longer there. Man, if y'all don't get the fuck out that house, you better just pick the kids up from school and go back to Motel 3. Just get the fuck out. That's common sense, right? First of all, weird random person in your house, get the fuck out. How the fuck you get in? Then your neighbor seems like she's a fucking vampire asking to be invited into the house and you invite her in like a dummy so now she has access to your house she can come back at midnight and bite all y'all motherfuckers get the fuck out it's a trap it's a trap it's a setup school as usual proved a welcome respite from the stress of family life at home Damien had to constantly be on lest he inadvertently reveal his true nature to Sabrina at school he could relax a little even though he had to remind himself not to blurt out the answers or condescend to the teacher who usually knew far less than he about any given subject the flattening of any truly interesting bit of history into a neat pat narrative the socio-political complexity of early 20th century europe for example in the years before Gavillo Princip fired his fatal shot into the neck of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, 
received only a passing acknowledgement from his old fifth grade teacher in Columbus. Why they continue to employ him rather than simply play Dan Carlin's hardcore history episodes on the subject baffled Damien. Still, his first day of Freeling Elementary seemed a qualified success. He had befriended a few other kids, waxed poetic on his favorite Fortnite drops, and showed them some of the rare skins in his locker like Black Knight. Some of his new friends hadn't even been allowed to play Fortnite back when that skin debuted. Damien found the idea of modulating one's behavior based on parental diktat utterly hilarious, but kept his composure as to not alienate his new friends, who were all very nice, but definitely standard-issue small-town children. Two, he had received no additional messages from the odd and overly familiar texter, which made him think it had all been some misunderstanding. When the bus pulled up at the stop near James Circle, he said his goodbyes to the bus driver. A dangerous move. If Sabrina ever conversed with the woman, he could be exposed as a thoughtful and caring child, and composed his features into the usual slack, vaguely menacing expression he employed around Sabrina. He trudged up the street, stopping at the end of the driveway to stare up at his new house. All part of the game. Instead of simply walking inside and proceeding to his room, he liked to wait for Sabrina to notice him watching the house like some kind of idiot burglar rather than an actual resident. After ten minutes, he gave up and walked inside. The house was completely silent, but for the floorboards creaking under his own weight. Damien frowned. They usually had a TV on somewhere, plus Sabrina banging pots and pans together, swiffering the stairs or crying softly in her room where she thought no one could hear her. Okay, we're going to have to dig into that later. I mean, I'm already of a mind that she literally shortchanged herself and ruined her own future. Uh, and is on the way to ruining her son's future with her uh, completely inane thoughts about him being a demon, even though I thought it was too, because this is the Halloween book. But still, we need to know why she's crying in her room. I bet it's because of Hal. Hal don't seem like he can do shit, like he is shit, like he knows shit, anything. Seem like he got a little dick. That's all I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I don't know. He walked towards the kitchen, giving the wooden chair braced under the basement doorknob a sidelong glance. Rats, perhaps? He stuck his head through the doorway. No one in the kitchen, either. Perhaps Sabrina was out ingratiating herself to the neighbors, which Damien very much approved of. The woman needed hobbies. Cindy had the house all to himself, an all-too-rare event. Perhaps he'd indulge in some Spongebob. Damien turned back towards the living room and almost screamed. Sabrina stood in the hallway, pale and sweaty, with a threadbare blanket wrapped around her, visibly shaking. Her eyes looked sunken, dark. Damien took an instinctive step back, not wanting to risk whatever illness she contracted. How was school? Sabrina asked, a question she had long ago given up asking him. Damien forgot himself for a moment, answered with a simple, normally inflected, good. Sabrina nodded, more to herself than in response to what he said. Don't, um, don't go in the basement, okay? There's standing water. Damien stared back at her blankly, giving her a single nod to show he understood. Ordinarily, he'd do more to unsettle her, but she seemed quite out of sorts already. Sabrina seemed to have frozen in the hallway. Between her and the chair barricade in the basement door, there wasn't much room to maneuver, so he slipped into the dining room, 
and back around through to the living room. He hurried up the stairs, trolled by Sabrina's strange behavior. He was supposed to be the weird one. As he reached the landing, a voice called, Damien? Sabrina stood at the bottom of the stairs, looking up at him. A little bit of color had returned to her face, and her eyes seemed to focus on him this time, rather than merely looking past him. Yes, he said, reflexively, natural emotion leeching into what should have been a monotonous response. I'm glad you're home. Damien smiled, against his will, actually smiled, and backed away up the stairs. Something was definitely wrong. Sabrina lay in bed, Hal next to her with a David Baldacci novel and his Rite Aid reading glasses purse on his nose, the smudges achingly visible from her vantage point. She wanted to pluck the glass off his face, clean him with the hem of her nightgown, but such doting drove him crazy, made him act like a golden retriever at bath time. She looked down at her own reading material, last month's issue of People, and tried to focus on the interview with Elizabeth Moss, but the words all ran together on the page. She couldn't focus. How could she? The rest of the day passed in a dreamlike state. A trance, maybe. She imagined hypnosis might feel like this. After debating whether to call the cops and, and tell them what exactly, she had spent several hours in the front yard, picking at the landscape with a trowel and a pantomime of productivity. Eventually, she got a sunburn on the back of her neck and was forced inside. That was when she had the bright idea to barricade the basement door. Maybe it wouldn't stop the large man who was somehow capable of disappearing into a tiny crawl space, but it made her feel better. Good enough that she could grab a blanket and sit on the couch, rocking back and forth, shaking like she had the flu. Some of that might have been the sunburn. By the time Damien came home, and she was actually glad to see him so perverse as her afternoon, the tension in her muscles was fading. She had begun convincing herself she hadn't actually seen a man in the basement. Ghosts didn't exist, and if they did, they certainly didn't concern themselves with bored college dropouts who couldn't accept the fact they had accidentally become homemakers. Sabrina went over everything she had done that morning, what she had eaten, maybe the eggs had gone south, double-checked the carbon monoxide detectors in case deadly fumes were messing with her mind. Thankfully, nothing. She had read somewhere, Cosmo maybe, that sometimes the mind, without proper stimulation, will choose to stimulate itself make up flights of fancy, even hallucinations out of utter boredom. But that wasn't her. How could she be bored when there was so much work to do to get the new house presentable? After Damien trudged up to his room, Sabrina caught a glimpse of herself in the hall mirror. She looked crazy, and the blockaded basement door was a physical testament to her insanity. Grudgingly, she put the chair back in its place in the dining room before Michaela got home, went upstairs to fix her makeup. The rest of the evening passed in typical domestic fashion. Minor arguments over homework and vegetables and chores, and now she finally had Hal to herself. Part of her wanted to tell him everything about the experience and her bizarre, tension-ridden afternoon. But another part of her wanted something else altogether. Hmm, she wanted the D. Sabrina gave Hal's arm a light stroke. The tiny hair stood on end, a shiver convulsed his body. Ooh, he said, dog-earing his current page. Afterwards, her head resting on his chest, pleasantly spent, Hal and her had always clicked physically, and unlike some of the guys she had dated in her hooter days, he definitely gave as good as he got, and then some. 
Sabrina's eyes fluttered shut. She was drifting off when the bedroom door banged open. Sabrina screamed. The big man from the basement stood in the doorway, filled the doorway, holding a cardboard box. Smiling, he approached the bed, waggling his eyebrows. Sabrina sat frozen, her mouth hanging open from the scream still resounding in her ears. Something inside the box moved, a slight straining at the packing tape, and then, with a slight shrip, the tape parted, the box peeling open, yawning open, and whatever was in the box, Sabrina didn't want to see it. Dear God, she didn't want to see... Hun? Sabrina blinked. The man and his box were gone. She was lying in bed with her husband, the covers twisted around her legs. Hal stared at her, brow furrowed. Everything okay? Sabrina swallowed, heart racing, looked around the room. Everything seemed in its proper place. The door shut, and Hal could be oblivious at times, but no way he'd miss a sizable man barging into the bedroom. Especially post-coitus. I, th I think so, Sabrina managed. Clearly, she imagined everything, and if she imagined that, it stood the reason she imagined the experience earlier. But why? Overactive imagination? Or something worse? Something like a brain? No. She didn't want to think it. I used to get that falling dream a lot, Hal said, leaning back into the pillows. You know, the one where you're drifting off to sleep and then all of a sudden, BAM! You jerk awake and man, back to square one? He gazed wistfully at the ceiling, fondly remembering all the times he had started awake. I remember, Sabrina said. He had almost knocked her out of bed while pregnant with Michaela. Thankfully, she caught herself on the frame of their old four-poster. Was it like that? Sabrina shook her head slightly. It'll be easy, so easy to tell Hal yes, like that, and he'd mix some sports metaphors and they'd turn the bedside light off and fall easily into their respective slumbers. Except there was a box of Hal's old sporting equipment sitting down in the basement. One she never put there. Someone had. Hal? Something about her tone must have gotten his attention because he looked at her sharply, pushed himself up onto a forearm. What, hun? Sabrina worried up the hem of her comforter, trying to figure out the right way to ask what she wanted, a way that wouldn't make her sound crazy. Finally, she said, Do you know who owned this house before us? Yeah, the bank. Oh, Definitely explain the deal they had gotten. Be before that, I didn't ask. Probably somebody upside down their mortgage. Buy low, sell high, right? He did a little fist bump in the air. Well, that didn't help. At the same time, the answer wasn't dispositive. At least he didn't tell her the previous owners were murdered, hacked to death in the very bedroom where they lay. Or the basement. She shivered, wrapped the comforter tightly around her body. Hun, are you sure you're okay? She wasn't going to say anything. She knew how it would sound. She really, really wasn't going to say anything. And then... Then... Hal, do you believe in ghosts? Outside Hal and Sabrina's bedroom door, Damien turned to his sister, a smirk creeping into his normally impassive features. Told you she's gone crazy. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook You can leave a review on Spotify It takes like 13 seconds 
You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser. Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts. And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Or on the Good Pods app, you can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my dad and you slip.